Welcome to the Hedged Edge by RCM Ag Services, where we're getting out of the field and onto the mic to bring you weekly market updates, commentary from commodity experts, and monthly interviews with the biggest names in agribusiness. Welcome to the Hedged Edge. I'm your host, Jeff Eisenberg. Today's podcast hits right at the heart of a tug of war happening all across America's farmland. Should I stay or should I go? But rather than asking a girlfriend the question, farmers are asking their agronomists and chemical salesmen, what is fertilizer going to cost me the rest of the season? And what are my options if I don't want to go all in on my typical fertilizer treatment? Today, we're joined by a special guest, who needs no introduction in his local circle, Dick Stiltz. Dick is a 50-year veteran of the fertilizer and chemical industry and is the current agronomy marketing manager of procurement fertilizer and crop protection at Prairie Land FS, Inc., Jacksonville, Illinois. Dick is at the pulse of the current struggle. Should I stay or should I go? Dick, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you, Jeff. Well, Dick, I, I have to ask you, you tell me this is your uh, first podcast. Uh, it is, very first podcast. I mean, you know, there's been a lot of speaking engagements and travel, you know, a little bit of, as far as political atmosphere, uh, several webinars, articles written, but the first po- podcast. Yeah, so when you started in this business, you know, those years ago, did you ever imagine it would come to all of this technology and communication? I started, I started, Jeff, before we even had computers. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, now you'll be the voice heard around the world. So, um, oh, yeah, right. Excited to chat with you here today. So, so here we go. I mean, it's, uh, it's a wild time to be in these markets. Um, prices are at historic levels or near historic levels um, for obviously the grains that are actually produced, but also for the inputs. And we've got the war in the Ukraine, we've got um, you know uh, fertilizer costs being driven up because of where fertilizer is produced and how we harness it and bring it in. You know, it's, a, it's a raising a lot of questions for many people but I guess the first question off to you is at the local level, the microeconomy, what is the message back to the farmers that, uh, that you work with and consult with on a day-to-day basis? Well, I think the biggest thing, Jeff, is, and you, you hit it right on the, uh, the nail on the head here, we do have increased prices uh, as far as input costs, et cetera. And, and that is adding stress at the farm gate. But the key is where commodity prices are. How do you manage all that? And how do you become a, a astute business person uh, to where you can lock in and use all the tools that we have uh, to look at profitability? And, and uh, you know, we, we've got a home run here and, and you can be in the Hall of Fame if you're a single hitter. But too many times why we want to hit that grand slam that we want to be at the top when we sell our prices, whether it be corn, bean, cotton, wheat, whatever that commodity may be. But in essence, manage everything that we have and, and sometimes take a little bit of time. Thank yous as far as all the consultants that we have, um, people like yourself is here with, with marketing, uh, people like myself that are in the input side. Uh, your bankers, et cetera, and, and how do we lock in, put it all together, 
it's quite the equation. We've got a lot of different variables. It's a huge chess game. But uh, let me tell you, there is opportunity out here. And I, I think we're realizing those opportunities today. And, uh, you know, as long as we can make a profit uh, at the farm gate, you're going to continue to be in operation for uh, next year and hopefully several years afterwards as well. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a great message. And I think uh, the important point you're driving home is the global economy. We can all speculate what might happen, but it's your it's at your local local level that, uh, you know, the decisions really need to be made. And uh, I pr- greatly appreciate, you know, people like yourselves with with uh, the experience you have to help guide people through it. So, you know, here we are, we've got some higher prices. We're well behind in the planting, um, you know, situation. Is that, how is that then applied to the fertilizer market? If people are saying, I can't get it in, are, you, are they buying, how far advanced are they, are their purchases on their fertilizer now? Or is it kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, shop as you go? Well, in most cases, spring inputs are in place. Now, not all inputs. Uh, yes, we still have traffic uh, daily on a daily basis. Uh, we still have river traffic. Uh, we have problems with rail, as we have read recently here, and, and that's affecting fertilizer deliveries. But, but in essence, uh, you know, fertilizer is there. It's available. We just got to get it at the right place. Um, I think most of the volatility in the marketplace is, is somewhat over. Uh, we just need to get the product on the ground and, and get this crop planted. And uh, then we'll deal with as far as uh, increased problems, I'm sure, on availability and, and supply for the fall. But uh, as a whole, I probably 80, 85% of the product is in place. It just needs to happen, and we we will have delays because of truck transportation. But um, I, I think in this area, we're in a pretty good position. That's really good to hear. That's that's great feedback, and obviously the COVID uh, delays, like you're saying, infrastructure, uh, logistics, things are you know part of what everybody comes to expect. I mean, it takes longer for me to get my pizza. I'll be honest with you. So, um, uh, but uh, you know. You mentioned something to me when we uh, when we first met the other day, and, the, and I asked you the question. I said, you know, do you think that producers, you know, based upon these higher prices, are going to try to maybe scale back and say, well, if it's a higher price, maybe I won't do as much of my plan, or maybe kind of scale back? You uh, you meant you made mention that fertilizer is is what percentage percentage of the yield. 60%. And um, some, some you'll see even higher than that. Uh, but on a U.S., on a global basis, 60% of our yield does come from uh, nutrients, nutrient and nutrient management. So fertilizer plays a key as far as what we're going to produce on a, uh, in a crop season. And, and I think what what's happening right now is the emotion, and of course the media is, uh, it's just not your nightly news, but farm news as well. And, and people get caught up in the emotions and they're, they're looking at you know, 200% increase here, uh, actually higher in some nitrogen products and phosphate or potash, et cetera, from a year ago. 
But at that time, we were almost at an all-time low, and now we went to an all-time high. But they, they forget to sit down, and we talked about those specialists. It's, it's not difficult. It's not rocket science. But, but put that on a piece of paper and see what your opportunities are. Use good agronomic management, nutrient management, uh, the four R's, et cetera, and, and in essence, maximize your capabilities, maximize as far as your yield. It's, it's kind of like your diminishing returns here in econ. Um, some cases why we might have cut back on fertilizer, we as a retail dealer, I've seen it some this fall. I'm seeing it as far as this spring. Some of that's going to be pressured because the lateness of the planting season and they're just feeling like, ooh, we don't have time to get that job done. And and that's going to catch you in as far as the pocketbook because uh, at, at six, seven, eight dollars here on corn and, and beans from 14 to 17, depending on new crop, old crop, et cetera, delivery points, uh, we have some excellent opportunities. So don't cut yourself short by not doing a good job of management. Curious question. Uh, if let's just say you go scale back one year, maybe is there a scenario where it's not as impactful this year, but then it really comes back over the top and affects affects the whole crop or the land the following year or the two or three years thereafter. Is that um, well, is that a real scenario or is it got to be it, every it year? It, it's something actually we we as a fertilizer dealer and and uh, as a farmer they need to look at every year and it's called start with with a soil test a good soil test and. And I like grid sampling. Uh, it needs to be done every four years and then see which way you're going, whether you're going up or down. Know what you're putting on, but also know what you're removing. And uh, guys with yield maps and the technology we have, you can overlay all that data. You can do a very uh, great job of managing and putting those inputs where they need to be so you can maximize as far as the, the dollar that's being spent so yes, start with soil test, and and uh, you know, if you don't have a current one, then let's look at getting a soil test as far as this summer, early fall, late spring. Actually, I mean you know before nutrient uptake here and and contact uh, uh, the people that you work with, uh, your specialists, etc., and make that happen so you know what you have in the bank, so then you can manage your dollar more wisely on and look at each field separately and then combine those. You actually may not spend any more for nutrient management. You may spend less, you may spend more, but the ideal is to maximize your your outcome and that is in the yield and bushels, whether it be corn, soybeans, like I said, cotton. But start there in the bank and see what you have in your savings account and uh, know what you have in P&K and and then let's manage everything. And nitrogen management is crucial. Uh, two, three trips across the field with nitrogen. Normally, why you're going to look at increased returns every time you go across that field. Yeah, and the final point on this kind of local area management is that at the end of the day, it's this year's crop is financing next year's crop. It is. And so with that, let's kind of take a little broader broader view and discussion and make a shift and start to talk about, well, 
We've got the war in Ukraine is continuing, showing no signs of backing off with Russia. Massive amount of fertilizer is produced in Russia, and uh, the logistical uh, needs to move our fertilizer from other locations like Canada to the rest of the world is going to become a challenge. So I guess, you know, from a forward looking standpoint, you know, I'm an economist myself and uh, by training, it doesn't seem that there's a, a, a massive reversion to the mean or lower prices ahead. I mean, is it, what, what is your sense? Well, I think you're absolutely right, Jeff, uh, as far as uh, short term, uh, and what is short term, but definitely looking ahead for the next six to 18, maybe even 24 months. Um, yeah. I, I see very little change out there. And it's, it's something that we will have to work with and deal with. Um, and I think the farmer needs to accept that right now and uh, become entrenched in the fact that it's going to take key management. The risks are going to be higher. But sometimes the rewards are very good. I just read an article here this morning where they're they're bumping up farm income for this year, and that's even above the increased cost that we have as well. And uh, it just goes back to where commodity prices are right now. So let's take advantage of those opportunities, uh, accept the fact uh, with with that we're going to have higher input costs, availability, uh, supply. They're they're demand, it's all an issue. And we were talking earlier, okay, we've, you know, this this world has become a lot smaller. We, we understand as far as in the global marketplace, uh, what country does this and how we react from that. But when you look at uh, the management of our inputs, we are very dependent on the global supply in the marketplace, uh, Russia, Ukraine, uh, China, uh, Morocco, uh, Canada, uh, those are all variables. Uh, and, and we have had so many changes and, and we, uh, we know that Russia, uh, they are a key when it comes to uh, selling as far as their natural resources, oil, gas, and the products from that. And nitrogen is one of those. Ukraine is the breadbasket uh, of, of Europe in that situation. So we haven't stopped all of those resources coming out of those two countries or grain, but we have slowly impaired them or greatly impaired them where how much of a factor they're going to be in the next uh, six to 24 months, uh, we don't know. And, and you know, everyone's speculating how much crop they'll get planted. The key is how much they're going to get harvested. And, and then how are you going to get those exported? They're looking at rail, but water is pretty much shut, shut down. We know that uh, Russia is exporting some potash to uh, Brazil right now. And uh, it's still co coming at a tremendous cost. Right now, potash going into South America, especially potash, uh, into the Brazil market, Argentina, et cetera, that's costing. We're, we're paying a high cost here in the U.S., but into South America right now, they're 150 to $200 more a ton for potash. And so that, that demand is there. And that just shows you the price is driven up because of the limited amount of supply that we have. When you take Russia and Belarus out of the marketplace and they can't export uh, 
So that is, that's almost equal to the tonnage that comes out of Canada, out of our uh, uh, potash mines in Canada. They're, they're 30% of the marketplace. Dick, you mentioned, I asked a question, I'll ask it here. So what about the United States? We have one of the largest resources of uh, land and opportunity you know, in the world. Uh, what percentage of, it sounds like we're importing everything related to potash, oh, phosphate. We're not. What do we need to do but, to but, turn that around and bring it more local? Well, one, one of the things, I mean, everyone thinks that we do produce everything within the U.S. that we utilize at the farm gate, especially in fertilizer, and we do not. I mean, I'll, I'll take the major nutrients, NPK, and I'll kind of reverse that a little bit. Uh, potash, our production of potash in the United States is almost minute. It, it almost doesn't exist. We have things of potash that, that come down in the Dakotas and the Montanas and Idaho, but it's too deep to economically mine at this time. So we rely on almost all of our potash to come into the U.S. Uh, from some other country. And of course, Canada has uh, great reserves of potash. That is the number one source and uh, Russia and Belarus are right behind it. And uh, then we have uh, Israelis and, and, and I bought product from all three of those countries and, and from, from others as well. But those are your main source. Now you get into phosphorus, uh, we have a, you know, basic manufacturer here in the U.S. Uh, and I'll just say Mosaic, and Mosaic does a very good job. They 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 supply most of their P is internally used within the U.S. They do export, and they have other mines in other countries. They recently invested in South America as well. But phosphates, or a lot of the phosphates, are produced here that we use at the farm gate comes from the U.S., as does nitrogen and in all three forms. But we actually still import some nitrogen. And, and not all of our nitrogen is used for agricultural purposes. Right. And, and a lot of our ammonia uh, is used uh, in the industrial and commercial side. And, of course, once we got business started back up, the demand was very heavy for that. And, and of course, the feedstock for for nitrogen products is is natural gas and natural gas has went up and now with what's going on in Europe, normally most volatile commodities in the world, right? Oh yeah. Normally you know, we're looking at three dollars uh, you know a therm for uh, for natural gas and now we're over twice that and and uh, it spiked up over a hundred to a hundred and twenty dollars uh, therm in, in Europe, and that just shuts down nitrogen production. So there again, they, they are producing agriculture in Europe, uh, Southeast Asia, et cetera. So the demand for those products are you know worldwide. And in many cases, they're tapping on our doors and offering more money. So that drives up the price. And it, it also then makes as far as availability a little bit tighter. So it's, it's a uh, it's crucial, and like I said, it is, it is that big chess game that we're currently playing in the marketplace. You know, Dick, uh, this, this discussion 
falls right in line this year. We've been working on a uh, series, an infographic and a series on what it takes to feed the world. And you're talking about demand just now. And uh, the reality is that by 2050, there's likely to be closer to 9 billion people on this planet, um, you know, trying to figure out how to, how to feed all of these people, especially with, uh, you know, a portion of the economy, the world global economy being taken offline with Russia. Um, you know, is it, is it going to be fertilizer that really, you know, helps drive this, uh, this, this push to larger yields uh, in places like South America and Africa and Asia that, you know, really come online with our nutrient plans that we do here in the U.S.? Do you feel that that's likely to be um, where the difference maker comes? Well, I think there's uh, yes and no, and I, I agree wholeheartedly, and I guess you're asking a question. I'm going to maybe answer it uh, maybe with some additional questions here, but everyone tries to model after what we've done here in the U.S. The American farmer is very efficient what he does, and he's very good at producing as far as a crop, regardless of what commodity it is. Now, we, we have used that data, we've re used that research, et cetera, to develop other countries. You had two countries uh, that you just talked about, and that's South America, and now the next country that we're trying to develop is Africa. Correct. And in those two countries alone, that's mind-boggling. But in the last two years, supposedly, we have added 73 million acres of production just in South America. That's an unbelievable statistic. 73 million new acres in two years? So in two years. So that's 75, 80% of the total acres that we have in corn. And, and our acres here in the U.S. will decline. And they are declining. I mean, you look at development, you look at green energy, solar, wind farms, et cetera. We're taking a lot of our productive acres out of production, which, you know, I despise in many ways. I just don't think it's good, sound, prudent management, especially when you look at the long term. So in this global marketplace, though, they're thinking, okay, an acre in South America or Africa is just as valuable as what it is here in the U.S. And, and Maybe I mean, it is, is not today, but has the potential to get there. Right. But you still have third world countries and third world countries. They just don't have the dollars to invest in their agriculture. So they are where we are maybe in the 40s or 50s, you know, where we saw production. And I'll take an acre of corn. We were 50, 60 bushels. And now we're our, what our trend line deal for this year is supposed to be a 181. And, and yep. Farmers through uh, national yield contests have produced way over 600 bushels. So it's it's sound management. And have you ever seen a 600 bushel uh, acre farm? I, I've seen four. I've never been in a field four. with six. I'll get there. Let's let's put it that way. But that's wild. 400. I mean, I can't even imagine. That's a, that's a, like that's unbelievable. And, and it is a science to produce that. It just doesn't happen. And, and I think as we uh, continue to utilize the acres that we have, how can we get our maximum production out of those? And, you know, we, you, you go back and I just mentioned, okay, and 
the 40s and 50s, actually in the 70s was the largest fertilizer consumption that we had in the U.S. And we've declined in tons of fertilizer since then, uh, even though our acres have, have remained somewhat the same. At that time, we were about 25% of the world's consumption of fertilizer. The U.S. today is only 10%. Wow. And, and so China, we don't talk, we haven't mentioned much about China. We know that their population is what, one, two, one, three billion? Yeah, from what they tell us. I mean, who really knows, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it may be more. You've got India right next to it, yeah. and they're probably going to surpass China. So we will get to that 9 billion people. And the demand is they want, they want protein-based foods. And, right. and, and so that means right now animal production. Do we have substitutes? Yes. But I, I think the demand for meat, and that's where most of our grains go to right now, is still uh, production of livestock, uh, cattle, hogs, chickens, etc., and poultry is very high. And then, of course, we use a lot of those uh, grains in, in fuel, and that's a controversy when, when we have high uh, commodity prices. And in fact, they, they think that has in the, uh, in the grocery store itself. And then number three is, of course, is, is export marketplace. But, you know, the U.S. has changed. We're, we're still, like I said, very well respected because of the yields that we have, the research that comes out of our land grant use institutions and what we do in the industry itself. But yet our, our footprint is becoming smaller in that global marketplace. It's going to be an interesting few years ahead. Um, I, I guess as, as we, as we start to think, you know, uh, kind of come back down to the, the local level uh, before we wrap up, Dick, uh, you know, it's, we've got the, uh, uh, you know, early planting is, is behind and we've got these high priced inputs that are sitting, sounds like at the farm gate and, or at least, you know, available locally. It sounds to me like we're not quite ready to hit any type of panic button. Uh, most people are, uh, you know, well positioned to, um, you know, still get the work done. Is that, uh, is, is that the sense you have right now? And I guess, obviously, by the time this produces in a few days, things might have changed. But in your area, uh, when do they really have to get everything in and get, uh, and get started? Well, in, in most cases, Jeff, why, we're, we're in a pretty very progressive area. But our footprint here with Prairie Land uh, goes from uh, west central Illinois into Missouri, and the further west we go, the further behind we are. And in, in our area, we're right here in the immediate area where our corporate offices are, we probably have well over 50%, we may be even 60% planted on corn and have quite a bit of uh, uh, soybeans in the ground too. Not that percentage, but we have several soybeans that are planted and we have some crop up. I just put one of our locations in Missouri as in LaBelle, Missouri. It's due west of Quincy, about 35, 40 miles. We just delivered our first load of anhydrous ammonia yesterday into their tanks. And that tells you how wet they are and how far behind they are. Now they'll continue with that rotation and their plan rotation 
hopefully for another two to three weeks. But some of the cure, and we talked about that uh, last week, but always the cure for high prices is high prices, and the same with low prices. So the pressure in the market will mount. You uh, being in the grain marketplace, we know how much money is coming out of um, you know other stocks and bonds, etc., and into the commodities right now. Safe place to be when you're looking at inflation, higher interest costs, etc., and, and trying to uh, uh, make that dollar earn something and and have a little bit less risk in the market, but. You know, we were talking about farmers backing off uh, it's uh, of their consumption of fertilizer, what they're applying. Same is going on right now, some in, in, uh, in South America. Uh, some of those farmers there, you know, you're dealing with 20% inflation on an annual basis. Uh, and, and so how does that figure into the equation and buying high price inputs? So, yes. We will back off consumption. That will have an effect in the marketplace. It will drive prices down, but we'll probably drive commodity prices down. How far can we go in in corn when you're feeding through cattle uh, and poultry? Uh, and we're currently in the seven to eight dollar, eight dollars for some old crop corn, or almost eight dollars, and then running that through an animal uh, to produce protein. Where's the pushback? When will it happen? Where is it happening? I think that's a great point on the animal protein. And I think we should just mention it is that right now we're just actually talking with a hog farmer uh, that's in Eastern Pennsylvania. And because of these high input costs being corn and beans and meal to get to the hogs, his cost of production is like $110, uh, you know, a pig. And if you look at the forward curve, they're selling for, you know, 90. 80, you know, so it's uh, it's a huge, huge gap. And he even said yesterday to uh, one of our other risk managers, likely to cut back production and maybe even call, call some of the sows because there's not much he can do other than just continue to lose money. So it, it is a very, very volatile environment. And ones where I think uh, what you said early on is that you need to manage your risks. You need to work with your banker. You need to work with your agronomists, your sales, seed, seed and chemical guys. You need to work with your uh, grain marketing advisors and come up with a plan that isn't hope and pray. You know, an operation, right. an operation, you mentioned it too, an operation that has higher, you're seeing uh, higher farm income. And that's because your operation that was $2 million is now six. So manage that, figure out the best plan. But Well, and you, you, you hit on some key points, Jeff. I mean, you know, you, we can lock in uh, grain prices for this year, even next year. Right. And so if we, we're still dealing with some of these variables that we have in today's marketplace, and we will be. Um, a lot of this will not change during that time frame. So why wouldn't you uh, lock in and, and uh, if you're insured a profit, do so. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you sell everything, but cover part of your expenses, et cetera, and, and manage that and, and, and move forward and then tackle another risk and, and develop some strategy. I mean, stress, I think I mentioned that stress is when you you go to bed at night and you uh, you look up at the ceiling 
and you see the cracks and the next thing why well, you you mentioned to your spouse oh i think maybe we ought to paint the ceiling but yeah. <laughs> that's when you got too much stress in your life but let's let's manage those stress and turn it into opportunities and it goes back like i said you can be a hall of fame hitter and or get in the hall of fame and be a singles hitter and uh, as long as we can lock in a profit let's do so we just got so many tools we have to manage and we sharpen that pencil a little bit we've got to work with uh, all these uh, constituents that we have these these people in authority and and maybe the people of, of knowledge to where we can ensure something on the bottom line keep us in business yeah, I, th I think that uh, really sums it up, Dick. And I, I, I think from here, we'll, we're going to wrap up today's discussion uh, with, you know, a little bit, if you could just share a little bit more about, um, you know, about your business, Prairie Land. You guys are, um, you know, all over the area you mentioned, all the way down through Missouri. Um, you're part of the Growmark system, I believe you shared. We are part of the Growmark system. Okay. We, uh, we've taken several companies and went together, but the last two were in 2014 when we uh, when we joined together um, uh, two companies to form Prairie Land in the Growmark system. And so uh, we are very fortunate to have the territory that we have and the opportunities. But we're in about 18 uh, uh, counties in, in Illinois and, and into eastern Missouri. And we go from uh, Iliopolis, which is just due uh, west of Decatur, all the way to uh, Kirksville, Missouri, and points uh, both north and south from them. We're very blessed because we have river traffic and uh, that helps us on inputs. But more importantly, it also helps us as far as on uh, our exports of grain being on the river. And then we have uh, uh, two, sometimes three. Uh, we do have three uh, uh, shelves or inland terminals here to move grain, specifically corn. So uh, when you look at uh, today's marketplace, and sometimes we're actually going to be above the market, our basis is pretty thin, in some cases on the positive side. So that... That gives us opportunity here in the marketplace for our farmers to utilize that asset uh, to where it's a real advantage for them uh, when you're marketing grain. That's good. And if, they, if people want to get in touch with you, they can come to Jacksonville office, maybe get on the Ferris wheel. I see there's a famous Ferris wheel in town. Is that right? We still have, yes, the Ferris wheel that was developed uh, in Whitehall, Greenhouse area, and then came to Jacksonville in the early 1900s. And, and they still make and repair those same Ferris wheels. They, uh, they did such an excellent job by, uh, uh, you know, there's still new ones going out the door, but they were furbished a lot of uh, Ferris wheels uh, throughout the U.S. and some into other countries in Canada and even down in Mexico. So it's a, it's a small world. It's an institution over there. That's great. That's great. All right. Last question I have for you. This is uh, kind of do a fun thing at the end of uh, each one of these and uh, always find people's responses of interest. So uh, if you could be a, a professional athlete uh, or, you know, get involved in any sort of extreme sports, what, uh, what would you, uh, what would you have done in your life or what have you done perhaps? Well, I, I always played sports and, and, and multiple and that was, uh, you know, football, baseball, and basketball, but I, I probably like basketball as well as any of them. And, and 
but so they're all fun. And, uh, you know, the biggest thing, and, and that's just not sports, but, you know, what we do in our, uh, our free time and our off time and, and, you know, how do you relieve as far as stress and, you know, whatever you do, you enjoy your job. I enjoy mine or I still wouldn't be doing that situation, but you have to enjoy what you're doing. And, uh, you know, the key, I think, uh, now is, is how do you uh, find relaxation and, and, and part of that, and that was in the bio, uh, it's, it's family and it's hobbies, et cetera. And then uh, just, just people, you know, good relationships and being able to talk uh, uh, with, with the caliber of people like yourself and the opportunities that opens up and the perspective that we have. Uh, to improve upon what we're doing. So those, those are the key aspects that I see in the opportunities that we have. And, and we're so blessed here, uh, not only locally, but uh, here in the U.S. and to be part of a, a great country and be in, in part of the food chain here where we're helping as far as uh, consumers and putting our best foot forward so they too can improve upon their livelihood. So it's a, it's all uh, integral now. That's a long ways from where you just talked about what would you want to be in sports. But I, I think the key is, uh, you know, it, it, it all rings true. I mean, uh, I'm involved. Well, life, life is a ball game. And, you know, you, you know, you can you can foul tip a ball, you can strike out a set. <laughs> But, uh, you know, how do you come back in? You don't like too many no-hitters, but uh, uh, like I said, let's keep playing that game, score some goals. They don't all have to be three-pointers. Uh, a, layup, a layup on a fast break is just effective two points as it is 15 feet out. Then enjoy, enjoy some craft beer when you're done. That's right. Perfect. Well, Nick, we, we really appreciate you joining uh, joining the show today. It's been a, a lot of fun. We'll uh, get your contact information. Is that the best uh, way to get in touch? Just uh, your email and phone, or how yes. would you like people to reach yes. out to you? Either one. Unfortunately, the cell phone's always on. Oh, yeah. and one, one of those jobs is uh, you know when you don't have supplies, uh, and, and it's rang a few times here. You know what do you do? <laughs> underneath it it'll get there either that or we'll order it we didn't touch much on crop protection that's even probably a bigger mess than we have in the fertilizer supply side but maybe that's for later in a different podcast yeah we can do it again i'd really actually like to do this again uh maybe a month or two maybe uh see how things actually shook out from what we talked about and just catch an update from you anyway but uh look forward to the next time out there in uh illinois and um, we'll, we'll plan to get together in person. So thanks again for joining the show and you. Uh, we'll get this put together. Have a good day. Thanks. Thanks, Dick. All right. Bye. You've been listening to The Hedged Edge. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at ag underscore RCM. Like our Facebook page under RCM Ag Services. And visit our website to read our blog and subscribe to our newsletter at rcmagservices.com. If you like our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear them. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. 
All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.